So like everybody knows, you've seen the posters and that, this is the month of uh, super abundance. Woo! Um, yes. And I think that it's probably my most favorite month because I'm definitely looking for some super abundance in my life. Um, I'd like people to look at me and, and not just say, wow, that man is abundant. I would like people to look at me and say, wow, that man is super abundant, right? I would love my life to look in a way that people could only describe it as super something, right? Super abundant would be something that I would really like to have. Um, but just as I was thinking about it, and just as I was preparing today and talking to the Lord, uh, he just really quickly brought me to the scripture in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Because I think that sometimes what can happen is, is that we can think that when we're talking about abundance, it, can, it, it really has kind of a financial connotation, and although I'm sure that each and every one of us in this room would say that you don't believe in God to go to the next level financially, um, but 2 Corinthians 9.8 says this, that God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, okay? So when we're talking about abundance, we're not just talking about financial abundance, but what we're talking about is that God would cause us to abound. It later goes on to say in the scripture that we would abound unto every good work. That everything that we do, every area that we categorize our life in, God's desire is that we wouldn't struggle in any of those areas of our lives. That we would be super abundant in our relationships and super abundant in our finances and super abundant in our physical bodies, super abundant in our emotions and super abundant in our joy. That everything, every area, everything that I would do throughout my day from morning, afternoon and night, that I would be able to coin everything in my life as super abundant, right? And that is the promise of the scripture to us. It's not just something that sounds good. It's not just something that preaches well, although it does preach well. Um, it is a promise of God to us. And I believe that what this month is, is I'm going to do my best not to get too excited tonight. Because I know, I know. Because I, I really feel like there's some things that God wants us to, to understand in uh, because how many of you know that I'm so thankful that Jesus went to the cross, right? And I'm so thankful that he did the, he did the heavy lifting, you know? Like he took, you know, the sin and the curse and shame. He, took, he did the hard part. But how many of you know that we still have a part that we have to do? That although Jesus did like 99.9999999999% of the work, there is still that point zero 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 one percent that I have to do. Uh, that it's it, the way that I like to think about it is is that it's a partnership that I have with Jesus. That I have I have a partner, and you know he's the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's the God who is super abundant. He's the God of excess. He's the God of more than enough. Right? I think about this sometimes in the nature of God. It was maybe two years ago. I was thinking about this. You know, uh, um, let's say like there's a banana tree somewhere. And you know how many bananas are just like in forests in different places? And nobody even knows that this banana tree exists. And those banana trees, they grow all these bananas. And then those bananas just fall on the ground and they just die. But did you know that, because this is what I was thinking, right? In my head, I'm thinking, well, that's wasteful, right? Isn't it? I mean, like, that tree is wasting. That could go to some needy person somewhere. It could go into my smoothie to 
my shake. It could do something that's more valuable than just falling on the ground dying. And what the Lord began to do was challenge my mindset or my understanding of, you know, this concept of excess. Because how many of you know if there's no such thing as lack, then we don't really think about excess. You, you see like, I'm not bothered whether you're taking a deep breath or a shallow breath right now, right? Right? But if we were in a confined space where there was no air coming in, we would be really concerned whether or not. How many of you know God thinks that way? God thinks that way about abundance in our life. I was thinking that if there's a banana tree and these bananas are falling, what God should have done is he should have implanted some gene in the tree that knows whether people are picking fruit from this tree or not. So the trees that get picked from grow fruit, and the trees that don't get picked from don't go, go fruit, because that would be, you know, why would we be wasteful if we don't need to be? But then God took it a little bit farther for me. He said it like this, that next year, when this tree gets more mature, it actually is going to produce more bananas than it produced last year. So there's more bananas that are going to waste this year than there were last year, and God doesn't give a rip. He doesn't. And not, trust me, I'm not sitting here saying that we have to condone wasting. I, I don't believe in, in unnecessary waste. But I think that sometimes we have to challenge ourselves because there can be this mindset that we have inside of ourselves in, in, in human nature where we would feel like, well, you know, I have enough. You know, I, I, if I, well, I don't necessarily know what I would do with more, and so I have enough. And I think that's a lot of the times what God wants to equally challenge in us is understanding that he would have it that we would, like the scripture says, abound unto every good work. That we would have abundance in every single area of our life. That we would stop thinking of limitations and shortage and begin to realize that God is a God of super abundant excess in every area of his life. In everything that he did, he created it with excess all the time. And so that's what I want to, I'm, I'm really believing God that we grab a hold of throughout this month is that we would really enter into this relationship with God where I begin to understand that there honestly is nothing holding me back from living an abundant life. You know, there's nothing, you don't have to be good enough, you don't have to qualify for it. God is not holding, you know, maybe you didn't spend your last paycheck very well. You know, God is not upset at you that you, you know, didn't save money, but you bought those really nice pair of shoes, right? But God's desire is that we would all come into this relationship with him where we realize that he would desire that each of us would be super abundant. Because how many of you know changing the world costs money? It does. It does. Building big buildings costs money. And getting the gospel on, you know, spread to the four corners of the world takes money. And I don't know about you, but when I think about superabundance, it's like, yeah, okay, I would definitely like to drive a nice car, right? Guilty as charged, okay? But I'm thinking, man, the amount that we could do if each and every one of us in this place was millionaires, say thank you, Jesus. How much could we, I'm telling you, I really think that we could transform Fort Erie. I really think that we could transform, I mean us, this small group of people. If each of us gave, let's just say, $1 million, 
come on, I feel like God is wanting to expand our mind here. If each of us was just to give a million, imagine what we could do. That'd be like a hundred million dollars. And maybe you're like, oh, a million dollars. I could never, you know, oh man. God, maybe you can't, right? Maybe you can't. But I tell you something, God can. God can. And so I, I, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into this because, you know, we realize that talking about the blessing and prosperity, it's literally, it is like literally throughout the entire Bible. I mean, I'm pretty sure that wealth is one of the most talked about concepts in the scriptures. More than healing, more than salvation, wealth is one of the most talked about um, items that we would read about from Genesis to Revelations. And I believe that's because in every culture of the world, you know, like the saying is, he who has the gold makes the rules, right? And the people who have the money are the people who get to determine what, what, what goes. The people with the money are the people who elect the prime ministers, and the people who have the money are the ones who, you know, build the schools, and this is what these people do, and, and I believe that what God is doing is he's raising up a group of people who understand how to partner with God so that we can, the body of Christ can, begin to be the people who are establishing the status quo of society. That you could share a little bit of that if you want to be one of those people, right? That no longer are we going to Facebook and ranting about how we don't like our prime minister, right? Because I think that sometimes, you know, we could do that. We could, I'm amazing at typing scriptures, right? Oh, I could do it. But how many of you know that Facebook is not going to change anything? But if we got the prime minister of Canada elected... But uh, you see, this is the thing. This is where our mindset has to change because somebody, not somebody, but people do this. People donate and people give money and they get more ads out and they get more ads out so more people know them and more people know them, more people vote for them and then more people vote for them. They, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy. But I think if the church could begin to do some of these things. We could, we really could begin to make a difference in our country, the United States, the nations of the world, instead of just being angry at Trump. Because that's easy. But that we would understand what partnership looks like so we can be the ones who are calling the shot. We could be the ones who are making the difference. And that's what this superabundance is all about. Yes, I believe God wants you to have a nice house. And yes, I believe that God wants you to drive nice cars and wear nice clothes. And he wants you to have great relationships. Yes, 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 yes to all those things. But I think that when we're talking about superabundance, what God is challenging us with is, can we believe for the more so that we can begin to be the ones who finance the kingdom and the moving forward of the kingdom? Okay. Um, and it's so like I said, you know, 3 John 2 says it like this, that above all else, I pray that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So this is like the highest prayer of the kingdom is that we would live in this place of prosperity, that we would live in a place where not only do we prosper in our minds and in our emotions, but that we prosper in our physical bodies, that we prosper in our wallets and in our bank accounts, that this is God's highest priority in our life is that we wouldn't just 
talk about the kingdom, but that we would be able to be the ones who manifest the kingdom literally across the earth, okay? And so my biggest question that I ask is, is that if this is true, if it's true, if the Bible is true, which there's sometimes I read some scriptures and they're so good, like, I'm like, yo, is this really true, okay? Let's, let's all just like take off our logical brains for a minute and say, if God is actually true, right, and he honestly wants us to live in a place of super abundance, how do I access those things? Because Jesus, when he died on the cross, we know that he released the blessing of God to mankind. That's what he did. When he died, it says he took back the keys of the authority that the enemy had to keep us living under the curse. The curse was poverty. It was, you know, depression. It was anxiety. It was sickness in our bodies. When Jesus came and he died, he stripped all the power that the enemy had in order to keep you stuck under those things. Okay? So I realized immediately that, I, I, I love to think of it like this, that if we ever have a question, the cross has already answered those questions for us. That if I go to the cross and I ask, do you want me to be healthy? The cross has already answered that question for me, yes, with a resounding yes. Does the cross want me to be prosperous, right? It's already answered my question with a resounding yes. And so I realized that God's part is already done. He already did in my life as much as he was going to do. 2,000 years ago, he already decided that your past, present, and future would be a super abundant in every possible way. Okay? Are you with me? We don't have to ask God, do you want me to be prosperous? Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus already answered that question for us, right? It's where the scripture says, if God would go all the way as to put Jesus on the cross for you, what now? Like, if he gave his all for you, what could you ask him that he also wouldn't do? You understand? And so I realized that God has already answered this question when I ask him, do you want me to live in a place of abundance and prosperity? The answer is a resounding yes. And so I realized, okay, so if it's not God, okay, let's start here. If it's not the enemy stopping me from being super abundant, because we know Jesus, he already dealt with him, okay? It's not God who's keeping the blessing from me, because we know that Jesus, the Bible says it was once for all, right? It was God blessed me just as he blessed, as much as he blessed Caleb, as much as he blessed somebody out there who's kicking babies on the corner, right? That was a joke, right? Please don't kick babies, Okay. <laughs> God blessed each of us the same. So I realize it's not the enemy. It's not God. It's not the enemy. It's not God. It's a mystery, right? It's the mystery of the kingdom, right? No, no, but, but here, this, is, this is what I want you to understand is that if it's not the enemy who's keeping me stuck, if it's not God who's keeping me from the blessing, then it's simply that I don't understand my right. Come on. I don't understand my right as, like, God is my partner. 
He's my, my covenant partner. So there's something that I'm missing in my understanding of what, what is actually mine and how do I get that thing activated in my life. And so I began to think about this because I really wanted to understand this. It's funny how getting married and having a child really makes you interested in having more money, right? I mean, I don't know why, but it just does, right? And so I've been really going after this idea, studying it, because I'm thinking, Lord, if this is my right, it's like this is my birthright, right? As a son of God, this is my right to live abundant. I want to understand what am I missing? Because if you've already done all the work in order to make me abundant, I want to not just know about it. I think that's the worst thing in a Christian's life is to know about the promises of God and never to experience them. Because that was never supposed to be the way. And so I began to think about this. And, and I realized that it, it's very, it's annoyingly simple. You know, I wish that the Bible was more complex. I really do. Because then I feel like I could understand why things aren't working for me. Right? Like, I wish it was like, you know, a, a DVD player. You know, because it's like, oh, it's so complex. How could I figure that out? Right? Or like my iPhone. Like, surely the reason why I'm not abundant is because who can figure out how this works? Right? But, oh, that's not the case. It's not the case. Because, you know, the Old Testament was about, it was, it was very fear-motivating. And we've got to separate ourselves from the fear of motivation. Because I think sometimes when we hear people in churches talking about prosperity, it could sometimes feel like a ploy to get you to, you know, we're really just doing a fundraiser this month. And so that's why we're preaching about superabundance, you know. And I think that sometimes there's been a lot of fear motivation inside of churches. You know, that, oh, if you don't tithe, God's going to be mad at you. He's, he's not going to be. He's not going to be mad at you. That's the Old Testament way of thinking. Right? That if you don't do, then you're, you're like in the bad books. And you don't want to be in the bad books because who knows? No, Jesus did away with the bad book. There, there is no bad book anymore. But I tell you something, the reason why we do things like tithe, why we give our offerings, is because that is my mechanism that I increase financially. You, you, you see, see what I'm saying? Like the Bible says that a seed will reproduce after its kind. Proverbs says it like this, that a friend must show himself friendly. A friend must show himself friendly. And so if you want more friends... You have to sow friendship. I wish it was the other way around. Don't you? I wish that God would give me a whole bunch of friends who really liked me and were really friendly to me because when they're really friendly to me, it's really easy for me to be friendly to them. Or how about I say it like this? I really wish that God would give me $10 million because then giving a little bit of money would be easy because I got a bank account for $10 million, right? Hey, come on, we've all been there. I mean, it was like Peter, right? I use this analogy all the time when Jesus comes up to Peter and, he, and Jesus says, hey, Peter, let me use your boat, 
right? I would have said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, how about you fill my boat with all the fish, and then I'll let you borrow it. But, but you see, God needs something in order to work on, in order to get it to manifest and increase in my life. It's like a farmer. When a farmer sows a seed, there needs to be something that the ground can work on to bring the increase. You could have an amazing ground. You could, you know, put the best fertilizers and the smelliest cow poo all over that field. It could be the most perfect environment in order for seeds to grow. But if you never plant a seed, right, you're just going to have a stinky yard, right? <laughs> Our mechanism of increase is so simple, but it can be challenging. I, I know that you want to be this way because I want to be this way. I honestly want God to increase me before I step out and do something for God. And, I mean, there's no condemnation with that because it's way more comfortable, right? It's more comfortable for somebody else, right? You ever remember this when you were, like, dating somebody or you had, a, like, a boyfriend or a girlfriend? You definitely wanted the other person to say, I love you first before you did, right? Because... Saying I love you back is, it's a piece of cake, right? But being the first person to say I love you, right? It's like you kind of like mumble it, like, uh, I, I, love, I love you, I love you. What? I love you, right? It's challenging having to be the one who takes the step out. But I tell you something, God has paved the path to prosperity. And all we have to do is engage with the principles that he's already laid out. Galatians 6, 7 says it like this, whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Sowing is our mechanism of partnership. Sowing is kind of like the, 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 the entry price for us to get into the prosperity party. All we need is a seed. That's all you need. And so what does it look like when I partner with God? Because this is really what I want to understand. Why do we want to and have a desire to partner with God? So the very first thing that happens, Genesis 26, 12 says it like this, that we become a recipient of the 30, the 60, or the 100-fold return. Okay? That's an amazing I, like, that would be enough for me, right? Like, I give God a dollar, and now I have spiritual right to claim $100, okay? Or I give $100, and now I have a spiritual right to claim, what is that, 10000 or 1000 Ten? No, 10000 okay? So, now this is, this is really the most common thing that we talk about with the partnership principle, is this place of when I sow, like when a farmer sows one corn seed, he's not just going to reap back one corn seed, okay? But he's going to reap, thank God it's not like that, or else corn would be very expensive. My tortilla chips would be wildly expensive, okay? But you sow one seed, and the result of it is that you get a whole plant where you're going to get back thousands of different seeds, okay? So the very first thing that I realize when I step into this principle of seed time and harvest, sowing and reaping, when I give 
I have a right to go before God and make a claim for that amount of money. Okay? Now, this is the thing that we have to remember. And this is not, I, I, this is not hard, but this is just a reality. If we aren't giving, okay, because we're talking about super abundance here, and this is like a class, okay? So I'm just, I'm just, just throwing out information at you, okay? But if we don't sow, we have no right to ask God to increase us. Okay? And I'm, I'm just like, I'm just going in reverse, right? Like, I mean, we just went forward, and now we just went backwards, okay? So when I give, I can expect that God is going to give to me. If I don't give, I really shouldn't expect it, right? That's like, if I'm a mean person, I honestly shouldn't expect to ever have friends. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? Like, if I'm a jerk to my wife, I shouldn't expect her not to spit in my dinner, right? You, you understand what I'm saying, right? Because there is a, there's a reciprocating action between the two of them. And so if I'm looking to experience the superabundance of God, it starts by me sowing a seed. Now, when I've sown that seed, I step into partnership with God, and I have the right to go before God and say, God, I sowed a dollar, so now you have to give me my hundred dollars. It's tough, right? But wouldn't you do that to your bank? Wouldn't you? If your bank came to you and said, if you put this dollar in, at the end of the year, I'll give you $100. The end of the year comes, and there's still a dollar in there. How many of you are like, oh, you know, shoot, guess it didn't work out? No, nobody's going to do that. Hey, that's right, lady. Right? But that's what it does, right? Doesn't the scripture say what? Come what? Boldly before the throne of grace? So when I engage in the principle, I have the right to go boldly before my father's throne and say, Lord, I sowed this seed. Now I, I'm thanking you for my harvest. Okay? And so, hey, and can I tell you something? This is an active process. And I think that that's sometimes where when we give and we don't receive, it's because we're like a farmer and, you know, we sow all the seed in the ground, but, you know, we never actually go out for harvest time. You know, it's like if you come by my house right now, I planted some flower seeds and I really haven't tended to them. So now my flower garden looks like the jungle, okay? It's bad. Don't drive by my house because it's really no representation of how I am as a human being. But that's sometimes what we can do is, is we forget that when I sow, there is an active process in harvesting, right? Like, Tim, I remember this. This was years ago. You were telling me the story. And so sorry if I'm just throwing this out there, but it just came to my mind. Tim is going to give his testimony one day. But I remember you telling the story of how you were sowing and sowing and sowing, and the Lord gave you this revelation or something, and you would walk the train tracks, and you would go, you would get before God as you walked on the train tracks and you would say just that, God, I have done my part. And now I'm, I have a right, I have a covenant partnership right for me to expect you to step in and do your part. Isn't that what a, that's what a farmer does. A farmer will show up to the seed, you know, that's grown and say, I have a right to this fruit because I sowed this seed. 
But that's active. It's an active process now. When I sow, I don't just throw it into the bucket. But I'm making sure that I'm actively working that seed until I see the harvest. Okay? And so what does it look like to cultivate our, our seeds? It looks like confessions. Right? It looks, it's confessions. You know, I, this, I just had a, like a great meeting with just a couple of young people yesterday. And I was talking about this, so just making confessions. And how our, we should as Christians have five things that we're believing God for. Right? That I have five things that I believe in God for. I have a scripture for them. I have a confession for them. And I'm just working myself through them every single day. But because that's what it looks like to cultivate the seed is that I'm working it and I'm calling that seed in and I'm watering that seed and I'm meditating on that seed and I'm seeing my life of what it looks like to live in that house that I've been believing God for and I'm seeing my relationship being restored and I'm thanking God that these things are happening. Why? Because that's what it looks like to cultivate the seed. I have to be aggressive in going after what God is asking me. The second thing is, is Malachi 3, 1 to 12 talks about this concept that when I am a tither, that the devourer has been rebuked, okay? Now, this is not a fear tactic again, okay? Because the blessing of God is great, and the grace of God covers us, and it's amazing, and I'm so thankful for that. And so the way that I like to think about uh, that the devourer is being rebuked is it's one thing for me to increase, but it's another thing where I don't want the things that I currently have to decrease, right? Like, I don't want something to increase at the expense of something else decrease, right? Like, I don't want to get rich financially and my family falls apart, right? Or I don't want my physical body to get super healthy and I'm broke because I bought so much organic chicken, okay, right? Which, you ever bought organic chicken? Okay. But that's the thing is that what we're talking about in Malachi is that, is that yes, the, 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 being a partner with God talks about God increasing me. But then once I've been increased, when I'm a tither, it protects me from losing that increase. Right? Like, I, God blesses me with a new car. Now... I, 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 it's kind of like I need somebody to watch over that car to make sure that my new car stays a new car. You see what I'm saying? I don't want to drive it down the road and the tires fall off and now I need to go buy another new car. Okay? But this is what tithing does. Is tithing gets, it's, it's kind of like it puts an invisible force field around all the things of my life so that I don't experience the natural decay of things happening. You know that your car doesn't have to break down? Yeah. Who knew, right? <laughs> Not me. But <laughs> that our relationships, as they get older, they don't have to get worse. That when we age physically... We don't have to get sick. Why? Because the principle, I got a partner. I got a partner who's watching over all the increase that I've experienced. 
I got a partner that's watching over my relationships. I got a partner that's watching over things that maybe I'm not even thinking about. He's keeping me. He's preserving me. So that when I increase, I just keep increasing. It's not the two steps forward and three steps back. But it's what glory to glory to glory. That's the, that's the partnership life. That we wouldn't be up some days and down the next. But that we would be up and then we'd go a little higher and a little higher and we get a little healthier and we get a little bit smarter and we get a little bit stronger. What? That's the life of a partner because God now protects us. The third thing is, and I'm done with this, and I'm right on time. Thank you. The third thing is the double portion. Turn to your neighbor and say the double portion. Okay. This is one of those things that's not necessarily talked about. Usually we talk about the double portion in terms of anointing. You know, like Elijah and Elisha, you're going to get the double portion, right? Like people pray that over me all the time because my dad, if you don't know, he's the senior pastor of the church. And so people will pray over me all the time. It's kind of like the easiest prophetic word to give the son, right? Oh, you're going to, I see the Lord and he's going to give you double. And it's like, yeah, thanks. But like, that's right. And so, but I realize that the double portion goes beyond just anointings. That the double, the double portion anointing is something that as a partner I can access. But the interesting thing about this is in order to get the double, I'm not partnering with God. Although technically I am, I guess, because everything is partnering with God. When Elijah got the double portion of Elisha, he didn't, although obviously everything comes from God, I get that, but he didn't get that anointing from God, right? He got Elisha's anointing and then his anointing on top. What the double portion anointing comes from is when I choose to partner with someone or something that I now become a recipient of the anointings, the graces, and the victories that they have experienced, I now become a recipient of those things even though maybe I haven't won that battle on my own. Let me, let me give you an example. It's like when you partner with Light City, okay? This is an expensive building. I think, I don't know what it's appraised at, but I know it's a multi-million dollar building. How many of you in here are believing for a bigger house? Come on, not everybody. Some of you live in mansions. Okay, that's cool if you do. Awesome. I'm believing God for a bigger house. Let's say this, this, let's say this building is appraised at, I don't know, let's say 1.5 million. How many of you would love to live in a $1.5 million home? Come on now, let's catch this though. Let's catch this. Isn't that what happened to Elisha? When he partnered with Elijah... He now, the scripture says that he did twice. Okay, so 
it's, it's going to stretch us. Come on. You want to be stretched? Like, pull your shirt out a little. Like, let's make it a little baggy, right? Let's baggy it up a little because we're going to be stretched. Let's say this building is appraised at $1.5 million. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's the double. If this building is appraised at $1.5 million, ready? And you partner, come on, ready? You partner with victory. Like all those times you've been sowing faithfully to give. You have a right. Okay, this is scripture. This is not me trying to hoop you up. This is scripture, okay? Like double, it means double, right? Like if you look up the word double, double means double, like twice as much, okay? Listen, because this is, this is where partnership takes me, is it begins to make me realize that God has literally knocked the spigot off of what's possible in my life. Maybe you never thought that you could live in a nicer house than you live in. I'm here to tell you this evening that God makes all things possible. Listen, so let's say that this building is appraised for $1.5 million. You partner with Victory or Light City, whatever. Maybe you partner with Victory in the past, and now you're partnering with Light City. When I sow into this, when I partner with what God is doing, I have a right to claim double. So if their house, Light City's house, is appraised at $1.5 million, I have a right. Come on. The same right that I have to when I get sick, I have a right to expect healing. The same right that I have to expect that when I'm friendly, I will have friends. I have that kind of a right to go before God in heaven and expect that God is going to make a way where maybe there's no obvious way around you. Maybe you've never even thought about living in a house that big, but you have a right to expect to live in a $3 million house. Okay, and, and listen, and listen, I, I, have, I don't, you know, this is why I think that the, the gospel, if you translate it into, like, originally, it was, they would call it the too-good-to-be-true news. That's actually what they initially, like, go back into the Greek language of when they began to talk about it. Because, you know, it does sound, it does sound too good to be true. It does. But, you know, I think that our whole religion, or whatever you'd call this, relationship, is founded on something that really is too good to be true. If I could believe that Jesus would die on a cross for me, come on, if I could believe that he would go to the whipping post for me, if I could believe that he would do all that for me, do I honestly think, come on, and I'm not talking about, you know, living up in your nice house like Scrooge. I'm talking about abundance so that while you're living in your big house, 
you're writing checks to build orphanages. And you're doing things to promote the gospel. Okay? What would he not do for you? What would he not do? But this is where we have to begin to change our mindset on the way that I think about things. That when I sow, you know that 10 bucks that you put in the offering today? When I sow, that's a seed. That I have a God-given right, a partnership right, to expect that God would multiply that seed. What does it say? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. I have a right as a partner to expect that God, God is able. He is able, he is willing, and he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond. Come on, this is not me talking about this. This is him defining himself. He's exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all we could ask or think or imagine. It's time to change our minds. It's time to change our mindsets and realize what does it mean to be a son or a daughter of God. Heavenly Father, we so thank you for just your truth in the word and how your truth equips us, it emboldens us, it awakens us to the reality of who we are and who we've been created to be. Lord, right now we choose as an act of our will to release every wrong mindset, every trauma, every experience that we've gone through that would make us feel as though we have to settle for less than everything that you have promised to us. Lord, we know that you are this good. You are the God who cares. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name.